Welcome back to episode two of Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana. And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. And we are here to bring you incredible value again tonight, talking about the future of education, how it intersects with education technology, and as always, trying to hear from our listeners themselves. So That's right, Adam. With that being said? Adam, I've got a question for you. Online school. So many teachers are just tired of it. But the fear that we hear sometimes is that, well, maybe online school is here to stay. So let me ask you, doing school online, is it a necessary evil for our present situation? Or is this here to stay? Man, if you're scrolling through TikTok, you're seeing a lot of teachers making fun of teaching online right now. Oh, yeah. It is absolutely miserable. Oh, the mean game is strong around this subject. It's miserable for parents. Yep. Uh, all of the jokes about homeschooling, um, all of those things, I think, are, are, are part of what has contributed to online school getting a bad rap. I think people are kind of at that point where if you don't laugh, or you'll cry, right? <laughs> That's right. So you asked a really important question. Is it here to stay? I think we always run into some trouble when we feel like we have to take these kind of absolute positions. Okay. Like, is school only going to be online or is school only going to be in person? I think the best analogy that I could give is, you know, we're here in Hattiesburg, Mississippi in the south. That's right. We're always dealing with hurricanes and tornadoes. We know bad weather. When a tornado hits your house, God, oh, knock on wood, hopefully it doesn't hit our house, right? Right, right. Um, and destroys your house and people rebuild. Sure. Right? Um, do they rebuild the same exact house? Not typically, right? Right. Super rare. Right. And so coronavirus has been a tornado in the lives of many teachers. Well, shoot, in the lives of the entire world. The entire human Parents, population. Teachers, Absolutely. Students, folks in industry. Um, and so are these industries that have been hit directly by the tornado, right? Every school in the world shut down in March. Right. Are they going to rebuild exactly the same way they were before? I think my evidence for saying that they are not is that we've already entered a fall where school looks very different. Sure, but what would you say to folks that would push back against that and say, well, listen, we're, we're not back the way we were because there's not a vaccine yet. Or we're not back the way we were because there's no real cure for this thing, right? Let's fast forward six months. Let's fast forward a year, hopefully not longer than that, right? When a vaccine comes down the pike, why can't we rebuild school the way it was before the tornado knocked us down? Tremendous question. I think we got to go a little bit back in history. So, um, you know, when we had the pandemic of 1919 okay. uh, and 1918 and the Spanish flu. Sure. Um, you know, we saw schools, the radio was already in place. Right. We saw some of the most innovative schools in the world trying to have class on the radio. Okay. It sounds difficult. And people thought many uh, educational uh, programming and, and, and the way people would learn would happen on the radio. Um, I'm sure if they had had memes at that point, they would have been fantastic. There would have been an incredible, the, the meme lords would have been strong. That's it. Um, but the deal is, there was a huge pendulum swing back towards being uh, in person and we had the roaring 20s. Right. But the radio didn't disappear. And it led to all kinds of opportunities within the education space. Sure. And other spaces as well, right? And other spaces uh, as well. The fireside chats. That's exactly right. That happened in the 40s. So, 
you know, will there be a huge shift that many in the teaching game make towards putting, flipping their classrooms or using Seesaw or Zoom in ways that they may have not done that in the past? Will teachers pick up more tutoring that is not um, limited by geography? Will, uh, will teachers stay after school in the same ways that they used to stay after school? I think that all leads us to this really inter interesting conversation about what is good technology and sure. how does that help us um, get our most valuable asset back, which is our time. Sure. And what is the kind of educational technology that is really just a thousand dollar pencil? Sure. Let me push back against that a little bit, right? There's a lot of folks out there right now who are saying things like, okay, but the internet can't replace a flesh and blood human being. Technology can't ever do what Mrs. Jones, my favorite teacher from third grade did, which is just give me all that love, right? And, and make me feel special and make me feel um, like I belonged, right? You can't do that online, right, Adam? So what do you say to folks who will bring this up and then say, okay, but that online option is inherently inferior to in-person schooling. Therefore, to the extent that we can go back to in-person, therefore, to the extent that we can ditch the online presence, why not unplug? Yeah. Well, I think that that's far-fetched, and I think we're still landing in that place that's too linear in okay. our thinking. So in 1990, we had three million folks online. Right. And so if the pandemic had hit in 1990, we would have been sideways in, ter in terms of trying to actually teach remotely. Sure, right? would have been an impossibility. Today, we have four billion people online. Our sure. students are going to sure. stay online whether we're teaching them there or not. That's right, okay? that's right. And so part of what I think this has unearthed is that um, students are learning differently in a world in which they've only known the internet. We grew up in a world and we went to elementary school and maybe middle school without sure. the internet. Sure, the height of technology back then was right. the old Oregon Trail, right? That's right. You didn't die of dysentery, did you, Adam? Once or twice, Oof. that floppy disk, Oof. that old floppy disk. But no, but in all seriousness, um, many of our teachers are retreating to a world that was more fundamental, that was more comfortable. Sure. And so there's this pushback against the online piece. I will say simultaneously, the most important thing right now is social emotional care. Okay. And can the internet do that well? Uh, well, that's a great question. I think some would say yes and some would say no, right? I think there are a lot of folks, you know, I know many of them personally who are able to connect with folks who have a, an interest um, over Facebook groups or Reddit or any of these other platforms, Twitter, right? Um, that can't necessarily find that in person, right? So I think some people do feel cared for on the internet. However, we're talking about classroom settings, right? We're talking about school. Can you replicate school online and have it still be the same quality? Well, so much of what you can't replicate is the social component of school. Sure. And what I think people discount is the value proposition of the socialization that takes place. Sure. Um, what I hope that people get away from is the daycare aspect of school. Okay, say more about that. So my question to you is, 
is K12 really, or really K8, is K8 really a varying version of daycare? Mm. And so the reason why online it rubs people such, you know, the wrong way is you really can't have an online au pair. You can't wow. have an online, wow. uh, you know, nanny. You can't have an online daycare worker. We're just waiting for Rosie the robot from the Jetsons at this point, right? That's right. That's right. So my question to you is, is school, the way we think of school today, is it really just a beefed up daycare? Mm, boy, that's a loaded question. You know, I think you have to go back to what the mission of school is, right? And the mission of school is all about training young minds. And so one of the things I do worry about, and, and actually, you know, one of the things that I'm excited about online education for is the training of young minds in different ways, in ways that maybe can't be offered in brick and mortar buildings. And fundamentally what that looks like for me, curriculum wise, is moving to an a la carte model. We talked about that briefly last episode. But fundamentally, in a brick and mortar building, in a daycare, to use your words, um, we can't offer all the classes that a student might want to take, or even that a student might need to take to thrive in the 21st century, right? So I'm a math guy, you know my mind immediately goes to multivariable calculus. There are very, very, very few schools in this country that are positioned in terms of resources to offer a multivariable calculus class. I was blessed to be at one in Tampa. However, there is a growing need and a growing desire for a multivariable calculus class in high school. Well, what are the choices? The choices are let the child go untaught, let the child's need go unmet, or we start to explore other options beyond the brick and mortar building, right? So my question is, um, where do we go from here in terms of online schooling? What's the next step? If we're going to acknowledge that this is a necessary evil, or maybe it's not a necessary evil, maybe this is just necessary, right? Um, can we picture a future where it's all online? Or, God forbid, are we Zooming for a while? Or what do we think is the next step? Where does this go from here? Look, I do think that kids need a... Uh, some safety and some care around screen time. Sure. I think that's critically important. I'm not an advocate for exclusively online school, but I do want to re you know to emphasize that our kids are already online. They are. If you looked at a restaurant pre-COVID, families sitting together, <laughs> they're all online. They're all on their phones simultaneously. Right? Got to so, get that so photo for the gram, right? is not a bad term. Um, being out of your comfort zone is what is uncomfortable about what we currently are in. Sure. So parents having to try to be patient with their children. Right. Teachers having to navigate technology that they're uncomfortable with. Right. You know, to your point about related rates and calculus, mm, mm. right? Over the 2019-2020 school year, what was the rate of change, particularly in the spring? Oh, goodness. It was a terrifying rate of change, right? <laughs> I mean, people were left uh, just scratching their heads, left uh, with a lot of anxiety. Yeah. I, I think it scared folks. What has been the rate of change in this particular school year? Well, 
Maybe even it's, more terrifying. Maybe a little bit more terrifying because we're realizing that it's not just a one-time pivot, right? That it's a series of pivots. So if, if you were a betting man, mm -hmm. and now we're getting into a little data science, man, a little, little uh, predicting the future. Well. <laughs> do you think that the majority of the schools in the United States, or even in the world, will experience more change in the next five years or less change than the previous five years? Oh, goodness. I mean, you'd have to be silly to say less change, right? Okay. It's got to be more change. How about the next 15 years? Got to be more change. How about the next 20 years? Um, double or nothing on more change. Okay. So, you know, I'm just a country mathematician. I'm not the <laughs> mathematician you are. But You're too kind. I would say to you that I agree wholeheartedly that things are going to change. And I think the most interesting thing is, what if the internet was not in two dimensions, but was in three dimensions? Okay, say more about that. So part of the issue that we saw with Zoom is that in a two dimensional model that is just about utility, that's sure. about getting, you know, uh, you know, muting people and controlling the room and admitting people and things sure. like that. Sure, sure. Um, that got really stale after two weeks. I would say two days, but yeah, go yeah. ahead. And it's a finite experience. Right. It's a two-dimensional, finite experience. There are technologies that are online that have offered an infinite experience. Sure. That are in three dimensions where you can have the common courtesy of connection, not quite yet where you are in reality, but very soon will be closer. So if we had school in three dimensions and we were as avatars being able to interact like we were in person, would that feel different to teachers and would mm. that feel different to students? So let me react with the first thing that comes to my mind. What about accessibility and what about equity? Because I think that what you're talking about right now is the province of a very lucky few. However, there are a lot of children in this country and around the world that can't afford an Oculus Rift headset right now, mm -hmm. that can't afford broadband internet, that can't afford the kind of technology that makes the sort of 3D places possible right now. In advocating those things, are we setting ourselves up for uh, a world with even more inequity in the education space than already exists? And, and let's be honest, we already, in education, we're already operating in a, in a sphere that has and an, an unconscionable amount of inequity right now. Let me remind you of my earlier statistic. Go ahead. There are more people in the world not on the internet than on the internet. There are four billion people on the internet, sure. which seems to be an incredible number. It's a huge number. But there are five billion that are not. Okay. And so when we think about that, there will be more and more and more folks on the internet. Right now, the internet itself is a luxury. Okay. But in the United States, the majority of school children do have access to the internet. Now, there are plenty who don't. Sure. Even in 2020, there are plenty of students in the United States that don't have access. You and I have both taught in contexts where that was the reality. That's right. But the internet is becoming more accessible. The internet is becoming cheaper. There are more options. Uh, there's more subsidy. Okay. Um, if the internet pivots to three dimensions, I think the infrastructure is going to be in place. As the technology gets better, it's going to get cheaper. When I first built my first virtual reality lab, 
And I, you know, I have a background in, in virtual reality. You and right, I went to right. build together. You know, I did my capstone project That's right. there on VR in schools and uh, leveraged that to build uh, the largest VR lab in the southeast at in That's Jackson. Right. At Jackson That's right. Prep. Yep. Um, and had a great run with that. Uh, when I built that, the cost to build that was a hundred thousand dollars. When I built the lab at um, Benedict Day School, it was like thirty thousand dollars. And how much time had elapsed in between those two? Two years. I mean, that's... Right? Um, it used to be that you had to get to get into a VR, a high-quality VR experience that wasn't going to make children nauseous, right? Right. You had to spend about $3,000 per unit. Right. Now, to do the same thing, you have to spend $300 per unit. Tremendous. So, your answer then to the equity question is... Hold on, just be patient. Moore's Law. Okay. The rate of change. For our listeners that aren't familiar with Moore's Law, give us a breakdown here. Well, you know, the reality is that every uh, seven years you're going to see incredible amounts of, of change. Um, and, you know, the, the rate of change that we're seeing in technology is absolutely breathtaking. When I asked right. you about the rate of change, when we were talking a little bit about rate change, sure. you used the word terrifying. Yes. <laughs> uh, for those who are concerned about pricing, it, it benefits us because technology ends up getting cheaper and cheaper sure. over time. Sure. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, I, I'm certain that, um, you know, VR will eventually be democratized. And Oculus's move with the Rift 2 to get that price down to $300, um, and that's high quality, six degrees of freedom, meaning you can move around in it. It's not just like a piece of cardboard that you're moving your head. Right, right. Um, that has changed the game already, and you'll see more and more and more schools adapting it. And what they'll need is to teach differently. Okay. If the internet is in three dimensions, how does teaching change? Sure, sure. Okay, so my next question then is, what do you say to the high school kid or, or the parent of a high school kid who says, yeah, but I can't pick up my prom date in VR. You, aren't you messing fundamentally with some of the traditions, some of the rites of passage that have been major, major foundations of the quote-unquote high school experience in America? And I know we're focusing just on high school right this second, but I, I'm sure we could broaden that out to middle school and lower school. And uh, I, I think of you know elementary kids loving field day, right? Sure, sure. Um, aren't you suggesting that field day and prom and all of that is on the table? What about tradition, Adam? Oh my goodness, Ryan, I love that. Um, you know, it's really interesting. If we look at um, the way that, that education expanded in the U.S. Sure. Uh, and we look back after the Civil War, uh, there was an incredible amount of investment from the government, um, particularly after Reconstruction. You know, during Reconstruction, you had the Freedmen's Bureau and you had this you know, investment in making sure African Americans had access to education. Right. But when the South kind of rebounded and, and you saw the Bourbon era and you saw the um, the revenge of the Southern Democrats. Right. There was a huge investment in public and state school systems. Sure. Okay. Um, and so these traditions that you're describing uh, are not 
200-year-old, 300-year-old traditions. They're traditions born out of the Industrial Revolution. Okay. They're born out of the Carnegie Unit model. They're born out of schools that were formed um, to uh, acknowledge that students were going to plant crops in the summertime. Mm. We're in a new industrial revolution. We're seeing rapid growth in students participating in e-games, right. Right? right? And um, other things. Now, do I think that prom will go away in the short term? No. And I think, as a matter of fact, the pendulum is going to swing hard towards some of those traditions. Sure. Like Every action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? I think people right? are going to miss each other. Sure. So I think in the short term, you're going to see a, a, a 2020s version of the Roaring Twenties. Okay. So I think you're going to see a lot of people really reacting, um, you know, very strongly to once we get a vaccine and once people can be together again. So I think that will okay. play into what happens at school. I think there'll be a, uh, a glut of social activities planned. Can you foresee um, a move towards an a la carte model for some of those things? Like we've talked about a la carte in terms of classes, right? And, and being able to take classes that you're interested in, you know, maybe a foreign language you want to learn that's not offered in your brick and mortar school. Um, maybe a, a science class, maybe a coding class, maybe a technology class that no one can teach you in your present location. That's the power of a la carte for curriculum, right? Is there a possibility for a la carte with social things? I mean, I think we're already seeing it to a certain extent with athletics too, right? I mean, folks are going towards, uh, you know, the travel soccer team, the, the club soccer team, the, uh, the AAU basketball team. Um, and, and beginning to move away a little bit from varsity sports in certain sports right now, right? Is there a possibility that prom goes a la carte or uh, spirit week goes a la carte? Are there social opportunities outside of the brick and mortar school that will begin to emerge, do you think? You raised a really, really good point earlier about um, equity and I think it's connected to this question around these kind of a la carte offerings. We've had an online experience that's been fairly open. Sure. And what history teaches us is that um, we, we have this pendulum swing between open societies and closed societies. And I think as technology uh, evolves and you have things like blockchain and machine learning and artificial intelligence and augmented reality and virtual reality and all these things that we'll feature in other episodes. Right you'll have the ability to lock down your social group, protect that social group from others online right. in a way that you have not been able to do before. And I think that may encourage some people to have more closed experiences or what I call social monopolies. Sure. Where they don't want a lot of different groups present in their online uh, experience. And so, you know, I think the, the things like Zoom bombing will be solved for. I think in the short term, uh, nobody wants to have a DJ online. Nobody right. wants to get Zoom bombed. Nobody wants to, to do that. But I think uh, as people shop best teaching experiences or other a la carte online educational offerings, okay, we don't have a multivariate calculus class in, in Hattiesburg. I need to jump to, to grab this guy from Tampa who's an excellent <laughs> multivariate calculus teacher. 
I'm going to have my kids take his class. As you see that emerge over the next five years, you'll also see um, people kind of finding the best opportunity without having to travel. I think, you know, what does virtual reality do? What does some ed tech do? It hacks time and space. It's it a phrase I've heard you say many times. It creates, a, it creates an opportunity where you can be somewhere um, in a moment's notice as opposed to taking the 15 hours to travel across the country. There you have it. There you have it. So we're going to begin a new segment this episode called The Fast and Furious Five. I'm going to ask Adam five quick questions. Uh, no more than one sentence answers, Adam. Um, just lay it out for real. First question is, what's the best thing that's happened to you in school recently? Oh my goodness. Um, aside from hanging out with my good buddy, Ryan McGuffin. Oh, stop it, you. <laughs> okay, one sentence uh, uh, answer on that. What's the best thing in school? Um, it is th to see the kids back in person and seeing them interact. Absolutely. And, and, and to see them happy. Absolutely. I think for me, it's been, uh, I've got a little fourth and fifth grade Dungeons and Dragons Club after school on Wednesday afternoons. And to see them laugh, to see them smile, um, man, that's, uh, that's been the highlight of my- D&D. You gotta love D&D. I like D &D. the Furious Five. Absolutely, absolutely. Second question, what's the best meal you've eaten recently? Ooh, best meal. Um, nobody will know this reference, but uh, Miss Tiki brought me some- Miss uh, Tiki. Some, uh, some, some, Hiros, some gyros, some gyros. What sure, you, sure. Some, you know, you say tomato, I say tomato, I say gyro, you say gyro. Yeah, yeah. Hero. Uh, she Let's call the whole thing off. And um, they were pretty awesome. I keep hearing about Miss Tiki's food. I've yet to experience it. I'm going to have to She's change from Sri Lanka. that. She is a incredible woman. And uh, we had our daughter, Denali, last year, who got into Stanford Online High School, by That's the way. right, that's right. She's doing She is pushing the envelope. She's living the dream right now. And when you compare the experience of what what uh, she's getting to what our kids who are doing in-person school locally are getting, there's certainly trade-offs. Socially, there's a trade-off. Of course, of course. But academically, she's getting an experience that is unmatched uh, in our local market. Well, for my answer, I'm gonna throw a little love back your way and say that the best thing I've eaten recently was the steak that you grilled the other night. Oh, dude, you're too Tremendous, good. tremendous. Perfect medium rare steak from the grill of Adam Mangana. Filet mignon. I was very, very happy. The mignon. That's it, that's it. <laughs> Question number three. What piece of ed tech has you most excited right now? Not for the future, but for right now. What can you sell off the truck right now? That's it. Engage VR, multiplayer VR experience where you can actually have classrooms uh, like the Oasis. That's the deal. I love it. I love it. My answer is I, I still love Desmos. Desmos is the company to watch for me as a math guy. Um, they're always putting out quality stuff. They're always worth a follow on social media. Go hit up Desmos, D-E-S-M-O-S. -S. Love those guys. Okay, question number four. What's the best movie or TV show you've watched recently? Emily in Paris. Emily in Paris. My wife's talked about that. I haven't seen it yet. Dude, don't tell anybody. Okay. The best thing I've watched on TV is my hometown Tampa Bay Lightning winning the Stanley Cup in six games recently, proving that hockey belongs in the South just as much as any other sport. Last question for the Furious Five here, Adam. Who is the thought leader in education space that people need to go follow on social media right now, today? Derek Ham. The man is amazing. He is the creator of 
Uh, I am a man VR experience and he is the chairperson uh, at North Carolina State of the Design School. Fantastic, fantastic. Mine, bringing it back to Desmos, Dan Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R. Uh, he went viral a few years ago with his TED Talk. Absolutely tremendous thought leader in the math education space. Uh, even if you're not a math person, go give him a follow. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for another great episode. We are signing off. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at? At Ryan, R-Y-A-N-G-M-C-L. Nice, and Mangana, Adam, we got you. Uh, we appreciate you, and we will talk to you soon in come, the metaverse. Come back for another episode of Ready Teacher One real soon. Thanks, everybody.